This is an ABC podcast. G'day, Matt Bevan here. This is China if you're listening. Today we have a bit of a bonus episode for you. This doesn't sit in the chronology of episodes. It's a deep dive into one part of episode two, which you've hopefully already listened to. Back in March, while researching episode two, I became fixated on the speech Bob Hawke gave in the aftermath of the crackdown on the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989, and the second piece of paper he tearfully reads from during a memorial service for the victims. Over the course of three months, my colleague Scott Mitchell and I were able to uncover new details about it that hadn't been made public before. Today we're bringing you an edited version of the episode of our sister podcast, The Signal, where I explained to host Stephen Smiley what we uncovered through that process and the kind of insane story of how it came about. Here we go. Okay, so what we're listening to here is the sound of the beginning of a memorial service being held in the Great Hall of Parliament House in Canberra five days after the Tiananmen Square massacre of 1989 that had been organised, this service had been organised by Bob Hawke, who is about to speak. This is Matt Bevan, the host of the ABC's new podcast, China If You're Listening. Unarmed young men and women were sprayed with bullets and they were crushed by tanks. At this point, Bob Hawke has read six paragraphs of a prepared speech that he had written. But at this point, he does something strange, which is he puts his prepared speech down on the podium in front of him on the lectern and then picks up a separate piece of paper and begins to read from that. Report to us. Tenement, the troops who first arrived attempted to drive the people away. A last warning was given and the students prepared to leave. But within five minutes, the anti-personnel carriers of the 27th entered the square, firing their machine guns as they came. Foot soldiers went through the square, bayoneting or shooting anybody who was still alive. By this stage, tears have formed in Bob Hawke's eyes and you can see that he's finding it difficult to read these, these words. They had orders that nobody in the square be spared. And children and young girls were slaughtered as mercilessly as the many wounded soldiers from other units there. Anti-personnel carriers and tanks then ran backwards and forwards over the bodies of the slain until they were reduced to pulp after which bulldozers moved in to push the remains into piles which were then incinerated by troops with flamethrowers. By this stage, Bob Hawke is openly crying. There are tears running down his nose and dripping onto the page in front of him. Thousands have been killed and injured, victims of a leadership that seems determined to hang on to the reins of power at any cost, at awful human cost. So this speech was something I came across. I had seen it before, but something I came across in the process of making the podcast and looked into in some detail. And I was like, can I verify this? Where is this from? What is he reading here? What yeah. are these details? And, and, and where did it come from? And I sort of went looking around for the basic details. You know, it's not hard. 
you know, there are really key details in there. He basically says that they were using, the, the Chinese military was using tanks and flamethrowers to dispose of enormous numbers of bodies after some kind of mass casualty event. And the thing was that it really wasn't reported anywhere else in the, in the media at the time. No one else reported it and no one else has written about it since. The only source for all those things basically is Bob Hawke's speech. And I was like, that seems very strange. I need to understand what happened here. Why did he know more than anyone else? Or was he wrong? Now, your reporting process to get answers to those questions is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, how, how did you go about answering these questions that you're posing about the speech, about this information? Well, I started just by emailing people that I thought would know. People who are who worked with Bob Hawke uh, in his office, I emailed uh, the former foreign minister, Gareth Evans, and uh, a couple of Bob Hawke's staffers. And they kind of came back with a mixture of, oh, I can't really remember what that was from. And I believe it was some sort of a diplomatic cable out of Beijing... But then one of Bob Hawke's advisers said to me that he later read, decades later, in Bob Hawke's wife Blanche Dalpage's biography of Bob Hawke, this you know incredibly important book uh, written by Blanche Dalpage, that the details in the cable that Bob Hawke had read out were wrong. And I went, well, that's very interesting. I need to find out exactly why Blanche... Delpage thinks that it was wrong. So, yeah, then I went hunting for Blanche Delpage. And, <laughs> and that's where things that. got very strange. Yeah, yeah. tell us so, about that. So I emailed Blanche Delpage's book publisher, thinking, oh, maybe she'll get back to me on this or maybe she won't. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, two days later, uh, it was six o'clock. <laughs> I'll never forget this because it was six o'clock at night and I'm standing in the kitchen of my house. I'm holding one of my twin uh, <laughs> children uh, who is screaming his head off because he's hungry. Uh, we're about to have dinner and my phone rings and it's an unknown number. And I'm like, well, oh, look, I'll answer it. It might be, you know... <laughs> be telemarketing. <laughs> a, a telemarketer. I'll just hang up on them, you know, otherwise, you know, anyway. So I answer the phone, you know, and, and the person on the other end of the phone would have heard, hello, and then scream, 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 scream <laughs> of a child. <laughs> and uh, the voice on the other side, on the other end of the phone said, hello, it's Blanche Dalpage here. Um, is this a bad time? <laughs> And I said, no, no, not a bad time at all, Blanche. Uh, I put my son screaming on the floor and ran outside <laughs> and chatted to Blanche Delpage about what she knew. And she basically said that Bob told me later that the diplomatic cable that he'd received turned out to be, it turned out to be uh, false. Well, that was the first cable that came in. So that's established the narrative. And as it turned out, a number of the details in that cable were incorrect. However, he, he was persuaded by it because it had come from our embassy, as were hundreds of thousands of other people. And as I said in the book about Bob, this was raw intelligence. And raw intelligence always needs to be corrected afterwards. Did Bob regret having read those details out so publicly at the memorial service, given that they ended up, uh, at least some of them, ended up being retracted by the embassy? Not that he ever said so. We didn't talk about that because the 
point about that was, and it was when he wept, he didn't set out to do this, but the good thing that came out of that was that many Australians who hadn't realised how deep his humanitarian feelings and compassion was, suddenly realised that he was a genuine humanitarian. Mm. And when I say people, I also, of course, include the Chinese. For them, it was a very extraordinary experience to see a white man crying for them. And so I went, oh, okay, well, I'll try and find that cable. So we emailed the National Archives and surprise, surprise, the cable materialised in front of us and we had it. And it's this extraordinary document. Bob Hawke only read a very small amount of it. It is a description of the most horrific things that happened in the lead-up to the massacre uh, as the army came into Beijing during the massacre and then afterwards as well as people were arrested. So we had the document and I had Blanche saying that it turned out not to be true. And that's kind of when we realised, okay, we've got a story here and we started writing it up. But then we stumbled upon even more information yeah. <laughs> about this in another bizarre way. So, so, so let's let's step back a bit. What is yeah. a what is a cable? How do these things come to be? And and what do we know about how this particular one came to be? A cable is basically a, a fancy uh, word for just a a, a, a memo mm-hmm. sent from an embassy. either to another embassy or back to base. So a cable is basically an email, except emails didn't exist in 1989, but an email back to Canberra from the Beijing embassy, from the embassy staff saying, this is what we think happened in Tiananmen Square. We thought you should know. And so what do we know about how that particular cable came to be written? Yeah, I didn't think I would find out that piece of information, but in the process of, of reporting this story, it was recommended to me that I give a guy at the Australian National University a call. Richard Rigby is his name. He's a, he's a professor there and a former Department of Foreign Affairs official. So, Richard, firstly, uh, I, I sent you the, um, the cable. Yes. Uh, what did you think of it when you saw it? Well, I drafted it, so <laughs> what do you expect me to think of it? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I thought I might find the person who did that. Okay, radio. Okay, so you literally found the person who wrote the cable. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, does it, uh, does it, how, how do you feel about it 32 years later? Well, how do we feel about it uh, a few days later when the situation started to become clearer? You know, it was the best information we could put together at the time, and that the time being, you know, uh, less than 36 hours after the event. Now, when you say, the cable and, by extension, the contents of Bob Hawke's speech in the days after the Tiananmen Square massacre was wrong. How wrong was it, do we think? So what Richard Rigby told me was basically that they had an an informant inside the Chinese government who, up until that point, had proven extremely reliable. The uh, local informant, the hitherto entirely reliable local informant, uh, which we refer to in the cable... Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that he was also speaking to our equivalents, so senior people in the British Embassy at the time. And he told them all the details that Bob Hawke uh, read out to the surprise of embassy officials uh, on national television. But then in the embassy, uh, a couple of 
students uh, who had been protesting arrived and sought asylum from the Chinese government. And they brought these students inside the embassy and said, look, this is what we think, this is what we understand happened inside the square. We understand that there was this horrific massacre. And they're like, no, no, that's not really what happened at all. No, actually, no, no, none of that's true. Crucial core thing of what happened actually in the square itself was not correct. And we heard that quite quickly within a matter of days uh, directly from the mouth of Ho De Jen, one of the leading, uh, well, the guy, the guy who helped negotiate the peaceful withdrawal of most of the students from the square. And he was the dissident who came and uh, was given shelter in our embassy. Were you surprised that this informant got that, uh, those details about what, was in, what happened in the square wrong? And do you have any insight as to why that informant may have got that wrong? I mean, I think that he thought that he was telling the truth. Right. It was the sort of stuff that a lot of other people that we were talking to again in the immediate aftermath were were saying. You know, I, I cannot entirely rule out the possibility that we were being fed some sort of a line. Right. Because although he was, as we say in the cable, closely connected with quite senior people within the Chinese government. The whole incident occurred because there was this very serious, literally life and death power struggle going on at the highest levels of the Chinese government. And uh, he would, of course, be reflecting the views and the hopes and the fears of one particular group, uh, the group group that lost out. So there would be a, a vested interest in conveying as bad a picture as possible of what the people on the other side of this power struggle were doing and were responsible for. Having said that, Richard Rigby said he remained certain of most of the details of the cable and that hundreds of Chinese people had been killed in the streets surrounding Tiananmen Square. And I mean, I've got uh, photographs of uh, patterns of uh, you know, bullet bullet impact patterns uh, in the streets and around uh, uh, train stations, bus stations, in walls at, uh, you know, head and lower height, uh, you know, to, to give clear evidence of pretty indiscriminate shooting at individuals on the ground. So there's no question about that. So what did Hawk do when he got the clarifying cables? Nothing. By the time they came in, he'd already given his speech. Bob wouldn't have um, gone out and, you know, had another memorial service and read out another cable. So, um, you know, the the clarifying and more accurate cable did change uh, the story quite substantially. Craig Emerson was an advisor to Bob Hawke at the time and says there was nothing the Prime Minister's staff could do to stop him from reading out that cable. It would be a brave person to say to Bob, you know, take it easy, calm down. He didn't want to calm down. He, he was so horrified uh, that he wanted to convey that horror uh, to the world. And he says that Hawke's decision-making at that time led to a positive outcome, allowing 40,000 Chinese students to stay in Australia, which was always appreciated by the Chinese-Australian community. The Chinese-Australian community never forgot it uh, so much uh, so that... Um, the day after the morning, in fact, after Bob passed away, 
there was a knock on the door uh, at his home at Northbridge. My partner answered the door thinking it might be a family member or perhaps someone from the media and it was a man uh, who had been a student at that time and uh, brought flowers and said, uh, sorry, but, but sent the most heartfelt uh, le letter uh, saying, you have given us a beautiful life. Thank you, Bob. We love you. And where are you taking this story? So we're currently trying to get hold of the clarifying cables sent from the embassy to try and get a clearer picture about what the embassy thought happened in Tiananmen Square. But in the week since the anniversary, I've been seeing a lot of news outlets around the world reporting Bob Hawke's words as fact. And that's to be expected when it takes 32 years for clear information indicating that what he said there was wrong to emerge. If we want China to be more truthful about what happens here... We have to be able to correct the record when Australia also makes mistakes. China, if you're listening, will be back next Tuesday with another proper episode about the vital role iron ore plays in both Australia and China and how it holds the countries together. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.